everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. I am able to speak today with Dr. Will Cole. He is a leading functional medicine expert. He consults with people around the world. He does telemedicine. He was named one of the top 50 functional and integrative doctors in the U.S. He is a host of a very popular podcast, The Art of Being Well. He wrote a number of books, including Ketotarian, which I interviewed him about previously, The Inflammation Spectrum, and a newer one called Intuitive Fasting. And we talk about a lot of stuff. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, um, but we really kind of go in some directions that I don't normally talk about, that I don't normally pursue on the podcast or in my sort of public uh, education space. So it's kind of exciting, but we really, we talk about a lot of things around, of course, functional medicine and wellness um, and some of the kind of underlying factors that we sometimes maybe spend too much time on and sometimes spend not enough time on. So it was kind of interesting to talk about some aspects of wellness and health that are sort of under-discussed or underrepresented, uh, And some of those include things like spirituality and, uh, you know, meditation and mindfulness and religion all kind of go under that. But it's something that I don't really think about a lot. I don't really talk about a lot. And so it was sort of outside of my uh, zone of expertise, but also comfort. And so it was great that we chatted about it. We talk about his book, Intuitive Fasting, and how some of the feedback um, and response uh, that that he got from it was interesting. People have a hard time with the idea of intuitive approaches to eating these days. Um, people also have very knee-jerk reactions to fasting, so that's kind of interesting. Um, what else do we talk about? We talk about how he manages social media so well in a world where it's like a necessary evil and we're all kind of tired of it. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we talk about one of the things actually that I work on in my own um, coaching practice, but it's something that I think is really under discussed, especially in women's health and wellness, is this culture around uh, alcohol that has become really normalized and that people have a really take very personally are very... Um, nervous about discussing this idea that alcohol isn't good for you and you can decide to incorporate it and use it and enjoy it if you want to. But we try to sort of bend the narrative to make things work for us. And so we have all this conversation now about how wine is healthy and if it's biodynamic and there's resveratrol and it's good for you. I mean, it's a neurotoxin. It's not good for you. Um, but the hoops that we'll jump through to try to make things that we enjoy work in our favor. Um, and so we talk about that and that might be um, irritating or triggering for some people, but I mean, hey, that's what we're, that's what we're in the business of doing here. So um, Dr. Will Cole is an awesome guy. He's a super positive, informative force in the functional medicine world. And I was really, really grateful that he took the time to chat with me and cover all of this stuff. Um, it was a really, really fun chat. And I'm going to stop talking now and get right to it. So I hope you enjoy this chat with Dr. Will Cole. All right, Dr. Will Cole, thank you so much for being here. Hey, friend, it's been too long. I'm, yes. I'm excited to be back. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, the last time we chatted officially on the podcast, it was, I mean, it was a different podcast. Technically, we were talking about your book, Ketotarian, and how people uh, can 
can agree on things and disagree on things and that's okay. And it all works out in the end when people, you know, when people just worry a little bit less about what other people are doing maybe, and a little bit more about what they're doing. A novel. It's a novel idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, on the internet, it's a novel idea, but anyway, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Oh yeah. It would be nice. Um, So, I mean, before we kind of dive into it, what's going on in your world? I mean, I see you're very busy, you're traveling, you're doing a lot of work. I mean, clinic is very busy. Tell me just sort of like what's going on in your life these days. Thanks. Um, I, as you know, for people that maybe don't know what I do, I I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. So for the past 12 plus years, from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. most days, I'm consulting people like we're talking right now via webcam and we ship labs to them. We're clinically monitoring them and, and guiding them um, and giving them that functional medicine perspective. So we're dealing with really heavy type of cases, a lot of autoimmune uh, people that are struggling with autoimmunity, people that are struggling with chronic fatigue syndrome, digestive issues, hormonal problems, and chronic infections. We're seeing a lot of mycotoxin and Lyme disease and co-infections the past few years. So it's really, um, it's immersive work. Uh, it's it's, it's a, a sacred responsibility for me. It's something that I really love. And it, to see someone regain their health and put the work in to see that through is su- certainly rewarding, but it's it requires a big bandwidth. So that's, that's, basically what I, my main focus is, and that's not really changed at all. It's just kind of evolved and expanded into different ways. Cause we launched in addition to our private one-on-one webcam concierge, uh, functional medicine model. We have a group models as well, which I'm really excited mm-hmm. about because it enables us to make functional medicine even more accessible and affordable to people. And it provides this really beautiful community of people mm-hmm. that are going through similar things because I mean, you know this, but people that are struggling with health issues, it can be silent and very isolating. So to not only get clinical direction from us, but to have somebody else in like a different state go through similar things and gets Mm -hmm. them on that level is so beautiful to see because that's cathartic and healing in and of itself to not be isolated and have that community, even if it is online. So um, yeah, that's my main, my main, what I've been focusing on my book, intuitive fasting came out at the beginning of 2021 and um, that did well. And podcasts. I don't know. I have yeah. two golden doodles and kids. I'm doing all the things. You, right? you've, got, you've got plenty. You've got plenty. <laughs> um, you know, I love what you said about the, the group um, aspect, because there's so many reasons why that's good. And you outlined a few of them, but you know, it, it really is true that people often think when they're struggling with something that they are the only people, right? Like they're, that their struggle is, you know, unique. And by that, I mean, they are alone in it. Um, and, and just having other other people ask questions and you can think in your head like, yeah, that's, I wondered that too. And now I feel less weird or I feel less yeah. scared. Um, and it's so funny cause I'm doing something similar, not for myself, but I'm, I'm participating in something similar. Um, cause as you know, I had a baby recently and, uh, and I promise I, I'm not trying to turn this podcast into me talking about baby stuff, but it's very topical cause it Let's just, do it. it just happened. And, you know, I've been, uh, joining in on these, uh, zoom sessions for like prospective parents um, to talk about my experience. And I went to a birth center, which is pretty rare in North America. Um, and just talk about my experience so that like new potential, like new moms or moms to be and their families can like ask questions. And it's been really cathartic for me to go through the experience again, which was 
singularly intense, um, but also have people ask questions and try to help other people. And I just see such value in that, that I can imagine what you're doing is, you know, incredibly useful to people. Um, and also you, since you've been doing this since before the pandemic, you probably like, you were already really set well set up for what the world needed, um, when they needed it. Right. Did you have to like pivot or do too much different? No. no, I, we did, we had zero pivoting. Thankfully, I know a lot of doctors had to do it, um, out of necessity, but for us, it's always been our focus. It's always been our model of care. Um, because uh, honestly, it wasn't because I was some mastermind of thinking this is going to be the wave of the future. I, I did see the efficiency of it. Uh, and that's why we did it. I, in part, I did see the, uh, level of, of immersive care that we could get. Yes. But honestly, a lot of it was just geographical. I was in Pittsburgh. A lot of people aren't in Pittsburgh <laughs> and I was writing and speaking about functional medicine a long time ago. So it was just born out of them not being where I was that that's why we needed it. But now mm-hmm. telehealth's a thing. We didn't even call it telehealth back then. It was a virtual functional medicine clinic. Cause I didn't have the language to call it a telehealth. Um, but that's obviously what it was. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you another question about doing work online and, and trying to help people and give out information in a like virtual space, because I do think, I mean, this is certainly something that I feel like is growing year upon year, but with the pandemic and the quarantine and people feeling very isolated in their homes on social media more than ever. And we can all talk about and like lament the way social media is going these days and all the things that, you know, as, as online people, we feel like we have to like be keeping up with, you know, and like sort of the the rat race of like, okay, what's Instagram telling me I have to do now to get to people. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Um, But you do a really good job of it. And it looks like you you, I mean, you're good at it, but it also looks like you don't mind doing it. Maybe you do, but like, how do you (laughs) keep up with that part of it? And because you, you do work that is also like medicine, you have to be careful about what kind of, you know, information you're putting out Mm -hmm. there, but like, how does that work for you? Do you have to set aside like time and be like, Oh God, okay, here we go. Like, let's do some like reels so that people will, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or are you just Mm -hmm. like, this is a, this is a function of what I'm already doing. It's how I reach out to people. It's cool. Yeah. It's probably a bit of both. If I had more time in my schedule that, I mean, cause I'm with patients most of my day and that comes first. I, I, to me, it's just a bandwidth thing of like, I wish I had more time for this, but I don't cause I actually don't mind educating people. And that's how I see it. I see it as like a really cool educational tool. Um, I, I, I like the posts, like the, just the picture posts, the quote posts, this like kind of showing them research or something encouraging, something positive, something to lift their life up more than I like the reels. I actually don't like the reels that much at all, but I realize that it's a way that a lot of people learn and I, I'm not that good at it. Honestly, I, it takes, you're me good way, at it. <laughs> it takes me way too long. The problem yeah. is I'm a perfectionist, yeah. so it may turn out all right, but it's like, it takes me way too long. And I feel like a ridiculous late 30 year old person, like, why the heck am I doing this? I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and I were the same generation. Yeah. I just, I just wish that like, TikTok would understand that no one over the age of like 30 wants to do that. Like we do it because we feel like it's part of what we have to do to get people to see what we're doing. But like, just, I really wish that they would understand that like Instagram is for people in their thirties who want to like post cool stuff, but also information. And TikTok is for people in their teens and twenties who want to like post 
videos. Like I just wish yeah. they would accept it, but they don't anyway. Yeah, I know. I totally get it. And look, I'm the one running it like by Instagram. It's like just my, I have an amazing team and they help me with organizing other things within social media, but Instagram's really been, been my focus and the way that I communicate with people. So yeah. it's a lot of work, but you know, yeah. talk to, I, I'm trying still trying to figure out a lot of things. It's the editing is overwhelming to me. It really is. Well, I, you know, I appreciate you telling me that because I really do genuinely think you do a fantastic job. And in, again, in this world, we're both in, in this kind of like wellness fitness sphere where so much of it can be like clickbait or, or created to be divisive and, and stuff like that Mm. to get attention. And I just feel like you are still kind of like sticking to, I want to help people and give people information. And so you're, you're a very good follow for everyone listening. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, and speaking of divisiveness, let's talk about this intuitive fasting thing for (laughs) a bit, because you did get a little bit of, I mean, everybody's going to get you're going to get people who like it and don't like it. People who understand it and don't understand it for sure. I wrote a book about organ meats. I get it, you know, um, but people do have an, have a hard time. Sometimes people have a hard time understanding the concept of, you know, intuitive fasting or people talk about intuitive eating and, and stuff like that. And there are camps of people who mm-hmm. believe, of course, this is the ideal. This is what we want to be working towards. And there are ways we can work towards that. And then there are people who are like, we don't live in a world where intuitive anything make sense anymore. So what's the point? So talk a little bit about like the concept of the book and and how you want people to, to understand it. Yeah. So I wrote it at the, I started writing intuitive fasting at the end of 2019 and then the entire like beginning of the pandemic, uh, because I wasn't traveling for work, right? It, I was just at home and it was really nice. I normally would write a lot on planes. So I wrote a lot of ketotarian and the inflammation spectrum in planes and hotels because I'd see, be, be seeing patients during the week. So it was like the, my long, like Friday through Sunday traveling would be when I would write a lot. But it was the different writing experience and because uh, I was home writing intuitive fasting. And I thought this is going to be, I was so excited for the book and I was so excited for this message because it's something that's like the other books born out of my clinical experience and seeing patients and really wanting there to be a grace and a lightness, a flexibility and intuit, intuitive component, a mindful component to things like fasting and many other things within wellness. But this one was specifically about intermittent fasting. And it was a play on words, obviously, because the prefix INT, intuitive and intermittent, but I wanted to, it really was a, a crystallist it was a, a epitomization of all the, it was very descriptive of what the message I wanted to get across. So um, the book came out and I, maybe I'm just such into my own bubble where my patients get it. My patients, mm-hmm. I'm seeing them regain their health. It's like the most uncontroversial thing ever. And the book came out and it was shocking to me. It's not like I came in thinking I was going to write a book that was going to piss people off, but the book came out and it pissed a group of people off. And they were like so many circumstances. This is going on right now in our world where it's this really loud group of toxic tribalism for a moment. And then it goes away. Mm -hmm. But I was in the thick of it when the book came out where it's just was like, it's, it's, toxic tribalism it's cancel culture it's like they were super offended it was like an eating disorder community that were didn't read the book didn't know my message didn't get what i was trying to say 
but just wanted to um, land-based us. And I think it, part of it too is Gwyneth Paltrow wrote the forward of the book. She was a part of the whole release and like anything she does is like offensive to people too. So that like put gasoline on the fire, mm. but I wouldn't change one thing. The book's amazing. It's helping people's lives. And once that, that craziness calmed down, then people that actually read the book know my message mm-hmm. that this is very middle road, like come find your path within health it's the heart of functional medicine. It's bio-individuality. It's like what works for your body, what doesn't. And I'm saying there isn't a one size fits all and more isn't always better when it comes to fasting. That's the point of the book. But I think it was being conflated with um, the capital I, capital E intuitive eating, Mm. which I say in the book, it's not that it's not, this is not a book for eating disorders. This is a book to have a more flexible, gentle, flexible approach with intermittent fasting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple major things to unpack there in terms of the, the, that reaction, that kind of like minority reaction was that like, first of all, it's the not actually reading it or understanding a thing and just reacting to it, which is something that we, we are seeing increasingly again in, in online spaces. I don't know if that's really the case in real life when people are actually mm-hmm. interacting with each other. I think yeah. it is more of an online situation, yeah. but then there's also the problem of if you don't agree with something, you have to get really upset and viciously mm-hmm. attack it versus just sort of either deciding not to engage with it or learning more about it so that you can, I don't know, have a more nuanced kind of conversation and approach to mm-hmm. it. Um, which I just read this article and I know cause you have kids too. So I feel like this is going to be interesting, but like, I just read this article about, um, I think she's like a child psychologist or something, but she was talking about how the main purpose of like raising kids isn't to make them happy all the time. It's to help them understand tolerance and deal with frustration and know that things are going to happen that they don't like and that aren't great for them and how to get Mm -hmm. past it. And I feel like almost maybe as a society these days, we were like a bunch of grown up babies who don't, (laughs) who don't know that or don't feel like they have to, you know, like, um, they just don't feel like they have to be tolerant of other people. And it's just, I mean, that's like, this is like a whole, again, other topic that doesn't even have to do with eating. It's just sort of a thing that I think doesn't really serve any of us and doesn't serve Mm -hmm. our individual health and happiness is we're, we're just so easy, so easily provoked and angered, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and I guess this can lead into, Here's a segue that will make this make sense. It can lead into a conversation I want to have with you about like meditation and spirituality and stuff like that, because you talk about that a lot and it's, I'm just going to skip to it because it's something that I don't really talk about much on the podcast um, because I'm not, I'm not super sort of knowledgeable in this area. I don't really consider myself religious and I know that that's spirituality and religion are different things, but Mm -hmm. it's not something I've really practiced internally or really looked into, I mean, meditation on and off, I've certainly dabbled with, and I, I was doing it quite a bit during my pregnancy to like mentally prepare myself for what was coming. Um, but I see that you talk about this kind of like having a spiritual practice or being connected with spirituality in some way, whatever that looks like for you and how that can help your health, your mental health, your physical health, all of these things. Um, just, can you talk about that? This It's a big, it's a big subject. I'm not even asking you a specific question, but like maybe why yeah. that's, why that is a part of the education that you, you give to people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely, it's a, it's something that I talk to all my patients about and it's something that I, um, 
it's what intuitive fasting was partly about. It was using fasting as a medicine therapeutically, right. For health benefits, anti-inflammatory metabolic flexibility, et cetera, but also not just using fasting as a meditation, but as, as not, not just a medicine, but also a meditation. So I, I, this is something that, that around the world, fasting has been used for these meditative spiritual practices that I talk about in Islam, Islam with Ramadan and Judaism with Yom Kippur and Tishba'av, Christianity with Lent, um, and so many other different uh, indigenous cultures around the world have used fasting for medicinal purposes, therapeutic health benefits, but also spiritual, mental, emotional, uh, mindful benefits. Um, and that's just fasting. So I think overall, just wanting to educate people on the fact that these tools are so interconnected to the hu human species. And part of the reason why we have this epidemic rise of autoimmune problems and different metabolic issues and inflammatory problems is this growing chasm, genetic mismatch, genetic epigenetic mismatch. And we're living out of alignment with what our ancestors would have done. And that's kind of where I'm coming from that. Yes. Like eating and fasting is, is a great way to realign that, but also the spiritual component is another great way to realign that. And I think that's why we see in the scientific literature in part, at least um, why people that have a spiritual practice uh, tend to live longer, healthier lives. Um, and that, and like I said, in, in many things that I post online, it's like connect on a, any level that you, that resonates with you. I'm not saying you have to have a formal one thing. And that's not what the research really shows. It's, it's this, the, the, the sense of compassion, the sense of uh, generosity, the sense of peace, like these, these, um, and gratitude, these, these, practices that our culture is in direct opposition of a lot of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that really bringing in these practices that awaken compassion and gratitude in your life is a great way to, on a level, decrease that, that genetic and epigenetic mismatch and living in, in a more of a parasympathetic state, a resting, yes. restoring, healing state. Because so many of my patients and I, so many people that are listening to this right now are stuck in various degrees of sympathetic fight or flight, stressed out state. So anything we can do to start to like tip the scale in the other direction to bring some recalibration of things is a good thing. So, um, yeah, people can connect in all, all different ways, but it's definitely essential part of my message. Cause I, I see it clinically. I yeah. see, I read the research. That's one thing, but then I could see it play out. The people that are consistent with their gratitude practice, the people that are consistent with their meditation. And it's not like, well, I do it here and there. It's like going to the gym and going to the gym once every other, every couple of weeks and saying the gym's not working for you and the gym's yeah. not for you. It's like, no, it's not the gym's fault. It's your lack of consistency. So it's like, you have to flex that mindfulness muscle and be consistent with it to really create this, this flex ability that I see in people where they're up against very serious health issues, but they have this padding of grace in their life that just they move through it with such effortlessness. It's not always easy, but it's like this beacon of light, even in the darkness that I see. And they tend to get better faster. And they tend to, um, it, the journey is a lot more enjoyable too. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the destination. It's like the journey of their health and recovering and healing 
is a lot more enjoyable. There's a lot less inner resistance towards the process. So that's why I talk about it. It's just so inextricably linked to my, to the work with my patients. That's so good. And it's, it's good too, to, I think for somebody like me, for example, who tends to, at least in the past, I feel like I've grown up a little bit, but in the past, mm-hmm. maybe like balked at the idea of like, stop telling me to calm down and like find my inner mm-hmm. peace and shit like that. I just want to like <laughs> eat properly and go work out. Like stop telling me, you know, like pe- sometimes <laughs> people aren't ready for it, but if you, yeah. if you can also connect it to some of these more practical physiological things like this parasympathetic sympathetic issue that is so pervasive. Um, but that leads me to a question. And this is something that I come up against with a lot of people who reach out to me and and clients and stuff is folks who find their, some of these practices that put them in that fight or flight response, they consider those to also be the things that they enjoy and that calm them down, even though they are physical stressors. So, you know, the typical example is like these crazy hard workouts that, you know, women maybe in their like, forties and they have a couple kids and they've got a full-time job and they're like crushing hour long Metcons every day because it gives them this, that, that endorphin rush. And like, they like mm-hmm. that community, all those things, but it's, it's like filling their cup over in a way that maybe mm-hmm. they aren't really understanding because it's also the thing they like to do. And so telling someone like that, who's t- typically a very like type a go get them you know, person, maybe just chill out a little bit, like maybe make one of those workouts, like a nice walk with a friend or like try to, you know, like people don't really want to hear that a lot of the time. So what's your secret for those folks? And that's most of my patients. Most of my patients are very type a, and they're actually not that good at meditation and mindfulness and acts of stillness. And that's exactly why they should be doing it. Right. It's like the people that say, well, meditation is not for me. Those are the people that typically need to do it the most because their body is so ingrained. Their neural pathways are so sympathetic all the time. Go, 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 go. That the act of calming that for a second is scary. And it can, they're kind of can elicit a lot of, of uncomfortable feelings in their body. Um, So start off low and slow. I mean, there's definitely people that, especially people that have different panic disorders, anxiety issues where they should be doing it low and slow because it is, it can kind of bring a lot of things up, but that's why ultimately they need to be doing that. Yeah. And um, so I, I hear that a lot. It's like the, the flow state of working out with a type A person, like that's their stress relief. That mm-hmm. is their way that they get things out in their body. They kind of, and I get that. And there's definitely a lot of evidence for that. And that definitely can be a stress reliever, no doubt about it. I would just say the yin and the yang are both needed. So do that. But I love what you just said, like maybe walk with your friend uh, is that that act of stillness, something calmer, something more chill. Um, I think for the research around forest bathing is really exciting Mm. and looking at Shinrin Yoku and the research coming out of Japan and South Korea and like using nature as as a meditation and as honestly, uh, as a, as a church for some people, right. It's mm-hmm. like this sanctuary of moment and Melissa urban in front of mine, she says, that I'm going to church. And like, that is her connection to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't have to be that for you, but it has to be even the research around Shinrin Yoku forest bathing is so powerful and its impact to support the parasympathetic to, to lower cortisol levels, to lower inflammation levels, to help the immune system, to help the brain. Um, so, I think it can be interwoven with physical activity, but I just think it has to be a different kind of physical activity. So 
um, you know, yoga, Tai Chi, forest bathing, hiking, that, that those type of things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like something you kind of touched on too, is where like the poisons in the dose a little bit, right? Like you, these hard workouts can be great, but if you're doing them every single day when you've had four hours of sleep and, and these kinds of things, that's the issue. And, you know, I love what you talk about the forest bathing and the like grounding and stuff too, because that's another mm -hmm. thing that I read for, um, you know, fussy babies. One of the things you do take them outside in nature, yeah. they chill right out. And it seems actually to be working. Like just like, let them see the sky and the trees and fresh air. And it seems to work. It's like, if it's working for them, it's working for us too. All right. I'm interrupting the podcast, but it's for a good reason. I'm talking about snacks, guys. Okay. Very important topic, a uh, topic that is near and dear to my heart because no matter how strict or healthy or crazy I get with my diet, I like to eat and I like snacks and I like treats that are healthy, that make me feel good, that don't make me feel like crap, but also I know are giving me nutrition and don't taste like I'm settling for something healthy. So all that to say, I'm very excited that we have yet another new partner for the show. This is a company that I've actually been a fan of for a really long time, um, but just recently connected with and learned a bit more about how they do things. Um, how high quality and next level their products actually are. Um, I was always impressed with them, but even more so now that I've had time to chat with the founder, Autumn Smith, co-founder of Paleo Valley. Um, they make a number of supplements, which I can talk about at a later date. You can go check everything out at paleovalley.com. But I'm talking today about their superfood bars and their 100% grass-fed fermented beef sticks. They're so delicious. They come in a bunch of flavors. Um, I've been eating the beef sticks and their chocolate, I think double chocolate superfood bars, um, dark chocolate chip, that's right, uh, every day um, because they sent them to me and I'm thinking, okay, these are grass-fed bone broth protein. They've got a ton of superfoods, including things like greens and broccoli and like greens powders, kale, stuff like that, which normally I'd be like, yeah, that's not really for me. I just give me the protein and the meat and the chocolate. Um, but these bars are really good. They taste like food. They don't taste like a lot of the um, sort of healthy or low carb or keto bars out there that are just full of like lab created sugars and chemicals. Um, they've got a ton of health benefits, blueberries, turmeric, ginger, Himalayan uh, salt, pumpkin seeds, and then of course chocolate. Um, so they've got protein, they're pretty low carb, decent amount of fat, they're just delicious. Um, Gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, all of that, low in sugar. Um, so they're delicious. And if you are somebody like me who wants to eat chocolate from time to time, who likes a protein bar when they you know, go out for the day and wanna have a snack, this is absolutely the kind of product that I think would be great for you. Um, so check them out. Go to paleovalley.com. I have a discount code. It's MMR. So that's Muscle Maven Radio, MMR, for 15% off. Um, they're just awesome treats to have around, snacks to have on the go. If you're an outdoorsy person, if you, you know, don't want to wait to get home and make your own food or go to the gas station and get whatever nightmare they have there. This is the kind of smart snacking that you want to do. So i um, super impressed with this company. I will continue to tell you more about them and what they offer um, as we move forward, but just kind of wanted to put this 
note um, out there, if you're a snacker like me, this is kind of one of the best ways you can you can do it. So go check out Paleo Valley. I appreciate that they are partnering with me and supporting the show. Paleovalley.com, code MMR, get on it. Dark chocolate chip superfood bar. So good. All right. Now back to the show. Back in it, we were talking about balance. We were talking about um, finding the the spiritual practice or meditation um, that works for you, the inner work that works for you. And you were talking about forest bathing. And I really like that. I love the grounding concept. I love the idea of like being in nature and using that as sort of your sacred time, you know? Um, and I was saying, I think before we got cut off that that's what I've been doing with my son is, you know, people tell you when babies are fussy, put them out in nature and let them have the fresh air and see natural things instead of like all these right angles that they're always looking at indoors. And, um, it's really, really effective. Um, so I love that, but what do we do for those of us who live in the Northern climates where it's, miserable <laughs> six yeah. months of the year. I mean, listen, I ski, so I'll do it. But like, I guess, I mean, what do we do? We just have to bundle up and just deal with yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, my wife and I, we homeschool our kids and I should say my wife homeschools our kids. Uh, and I, um, I'm, she's, she's an amazing human being. And it, she told me that it said within a lot of the homeschooling, unschooling, wild and free sort of, is that there's no such thing as too cold or wet weather or bad weather. It's inappropriate clothing, <laughs> which I thought, okay. That's a go. good way to look at it. That actually yeah. is a good way to look at it. But I, I respectfully invite you both to come <laughs> visit me in Ontario in February. All right. Well, I'm right below you. I'm right below. I'm in, in Pittsburgh. I'm is in cold. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh yeah. is cold and rainy and yeah. pretty. Yeah, you're right. You're so right. I'm, I'm not as bad as Ontario, but yeah. just below it. <laughs> You're right. You are. You are. T I feel like people who are who live in these cold climates, kind of, there is like a toughness. Like you can talk about that, like cold immersion and all that stuff and how it can mm -hmm. like build up resiliency, which I believe because I believe that people who live in cold places have a certain resiliency yeah. because yeah. you have to. And you're 100 percent right. I remember the first like winter that I lived here and I was like oh, wow, like this is like a real different kind of cold. And I I invested in some real high quality outerwear and it changed my life. Anyway. Yeah, it, yeah, um, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's true. But I, get, I mean, even in the research around kids playing outside, not just from a mental, emotional side of it, but their microbiome. I mean, kids mm -hmm. that live on farms out in nature, playing in dirt with pets, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. It's good on many levels, but yeah, yeah. I would Do encourage it. Do you, are you, um, able to share maybe some of the like spiritual practices that you do? Is that something you'd mm -hmm. be? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's deeply part of my life. So prayer meditation, it's something I'll tell you. One thing is that we start our day off at the clinic. So we are telehealth, right. And I have definitely have a lot of people that work for us remotely, but the majority of them as, as, as speci specifically at this point of most of the core team is all in office here. So we come in the morning and, and we do patient case reviews, but before we do case reviews for the day, every morning we do a prayer and meditation together. So That's it's cool. really nice to have that community, that grounding that we're setting that intention for the day. And it looks different. Sometimes it is prayer. Sometimes it is like a me meditation, breathing exercise. We read something inspirational and we share certain things that maybe we, I spe specifically after a weekend, 
someone will share something on Monday, like something inspirational. So it's really cool. So that's a big part of my life. But even before that, I get to the clinic, I start my day off every morning with just gratitude for the day setting. It's the seed for the day. And and I really take that seriously. But you know what, I think we need to make our life a meditation. I don't think it has to be some big esoteric thing where you're, you're carving out like long hours. I mean, there's a place for that, but I really feel like making the mundane magical, making the mundane a meditation. So like I, a lot of the practices that I do, it, I, I, I like a lot of what Eckhart Tolle talks about in the power of now and in a new earth, which is to me, when I read this stuff, it's like just in, uh, an instructions or a manual for logical living because so so much of our culture is just honestly um very dysfunctional and i think it's just a more functional approach of making the present moment your friend and not an obstacle obstacle to get through or an enemy something to just get through the day and so many people are just rushing 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 just getting through the day and waiting for that next like uh, you know, that next high that they're going to get from being online or buying something or getting what they want in this sort of consumer culture that we live in. It's like, how do we anchor, anchor ourselves in the present moments? So a lot of the practices that I do are things that I learned through people like Eckhart Tolle, where he talks about like, what are anchors to the present moment? So maybe it's what he calls inner body awareness, which is just basically feeling the aliveness in your body. It's just like feeling the the vibration of the body uh, or present moment awareness can look at whatever your present moment looks at. Even if like you hear like an annoying noise from the neighbor, or it's like this, something's not, not very pleasant to ha- allow it to pass through you and not have inner resistance towards it. That's another anchor to the present moment. Um, and breath awareness, something that you, you are not controlling. It's not actual br- breath exercises. It's just going inward and observing your natural breath. That's another, any, anything to get you out of your head and into your body. Yeah. And fasting is another way for that too. I love the making the mundane magical. I love that uh, because it's something I really have started to have started to practice since the world changed a couple of years ago. And since so Mm -hmm. many of the things that I took for granted were taken away, Um, things like going to the gym, things like traveling and seeing my friends and going to different places and going to work events and things like that, that just, you just accepted that you got to do and got to experience and then you no longer had it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then when things switched even more heavily to this online world, where of course you're always comparing yourself to everyone else's highlight reel and all of these things, there is no, if you are, if you're constantly seeking like extrinsic joy, right. And, mm-hmm. and success, you really can never get it because there is no top. There is no yeah. end. And no. it doesn't mean that you have to stop, you know, striving for things. Cause of course we all want to have new experiences and be successful and be happy and have, you know, whatever. But this idea of just sort of slowing down and being in the moment and being happy with what you have and knowing when you, when I internalize that, that didn't mean giving up or settling or being lazy. It just is like a reframing of paying attention to every moment you're in instead of just waiting for those few big, exciting moments, you know? And I think that's so, 
Mm-hmm. It's just really profound. And of course, again, having a kid really helped with that because for a few months, I can't do anything but sit there with him and I'm feeding him and taking care of mm-hmm. him. And instead of thinking all these things I should be doing, or, you know, I got to put him down so I can go to this other thing, or I'm just like staring at him every second. Cause it, mm-hmm. it, it moves so quickly. Right. Um, yeah. and so I really find that and it just, it's the, that concept is very calming to me. So I like that. Um, and that leads into the next question is how you can incorporate some of this stuff into your kids' lives um, mm-hmm. when they're young and they maybe are more naturally attuned to being present and like just loving what's happening right mm-hmm. now, um, but helping them kind of stay with that. Like, it, you know, I've seen some things about like kids doing like yoga classes and breathing meditations mm-hmm. and things like that. Is that stuff that you kind of try to do with your kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, and it's not, again, not something super woo woo out there. Like, yeah, yeah, honestly, Peloton is, has a great meditation um, section within their Mm -hmm. classes and they have meditation for families, which is really fun. And then it's nothing super spiritual. It's just kind of grounding uh, centered, acts of stillness is how I would describe it. It's like in our world, that's always vying to, for our distraction, always vying for our attention. It's like something to anchor. Um, yeah. So it's definitely something that's important for, for my family and my kids have done yoga with me. My niece who's a lot, my kids are older, 15 and 12, but my niece is like four, um, years old at this point, And my sister-in-law takes her to a yoga class. I think like th- these things are great. Like even as younger, they can do these things, these mommy yeah. and me classes, like bring yeah. it in. And then once you look at, you can something, you don't necessarily need to go to a formal class. You can do these things. Most of these things at home. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So when you're working with folks one-on-one with telemedicine, how much of your session is sort of just talking, talking things through and being sort of a sounding board and giving some advice and giving Mm -hmm. versus like, um, either like sort of prescriptive homework, maybe like, here's some Mm -hmm. things I want you to try and do. And like, let's bring it back and talk about it. Like how does a normal call kind of look? Yeah. So it's how I always describe it is this sort of science and art of functional medicine and the science and the art of wellness. It's the science of it is the labs and having clinical experience and having a direction and having leadership to see things through and adjust things accordingly, dosages of things, et cetera, refining the protocol. But just the art is equally important. And that is the space between the words is uh, knowing that person's resonance as you get to know them. It's, it's having this human to human relationship with this person via webcam most of the time uh, over time. And um, that between listening and direction, holding space and, and direction and talking, that's going to be dependent on that person and where that person's at and that specific visit. So sometimes visits are a lot more talk, me talking and me kind of like really giving them insight into what's going on. Like a lot of times when we go over the labs, like it's mostly me talking, right? It's me talking. Even then there's a science and art of like, how do you communicate this information that can be kind of overwhelming and scary for some people? Or what do I do with this information to make it more digestible and practical and like uh, actionable? Um, But a lot of it, when you're hearing their experience, a good clinician is listening. A good clinician is 
follow-up questions and really digging deep, if they're not really giving you the answer that you're looking for, meaning that they're just scratching the surface and you need to kind of follow up with them, you don't just blase over it and move on to something else. Like if there's something there, even a hint of something there, we have to uncover that. So it's a lot of holding space and it's a lot of digging deeper because um, you're not going to, I'm most of my patients if not all of them at this point, I'm not their first rodeo. Like they've been, they've exhausted conventional medicine. They've exhausted many people within the natural health world. And they're not looking just to add to their pile of things that they've tried. And I take that extremely seriously. So it's, it is, um, I, I have no other way to say it. It's like a relentless pursuit to seeing something through because it's like, these are very difficult cases. So it's a bit of both. Yin and yang again, it's, it's, yeah. there's a place for both listening and, and speaking in direction. Yeah. I feel like some of the kind of themes from this call are sort of consistency and balance, which are two things that are so crucially important and are really at their core, quite simple concepts, but not easy to yeah. actually apply to your life a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, but one thing, another thing that like reading some of your blog posts and, and seeing some of the stuff that you post that I think requires a, some some nuance and context and balance, but is a, can be a controversial topic is um, where alcohol fits into health. And I find it interesting, like my kind of little soapbox, like obviously, you know, that I come from a more sort of like animal protein based approach to nutrition, right? it's essentially like you and I could eat the same food and at the same restaurant and maybe our plates would look a little different is essentially it. And so I've come to a point where I'm like, I'm not going to fight people on like the nuance of like this much vegetables versus this much vegetables. I mean, eat meat and vegetables. Okay. You're going to be yeah. way ahead of like 90% of the world. <laughs> yeah. um, but the alcohol story is kind of interesting because it's so ingrained in culture and in socializing that it becomes something that is really like very personal to people and that people have a really, really hard time letting go of to the point that we're now in a space in the like nutrition world where you could say never eat carbs again. And people will be like, okay, I get it. Or bread is the devil. And people are like, yeah, yeah, you're right. But if you say like, you really shouldn't drink very much. People are like, how dare you like never, you know, it's, that's like the last bastion of like, and it, and it can be a complicated topic too, because it is about balance. And to say someone should never do something is a, is a potentially a problematic, you know, way to go through life. So, but there's some pretty compelling arguments about minimizing alcohol intake. So can you talk about that? You be the, you be the bummer right now, instead of me, you tell people. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. What's so funny is that I've been doing this for so long talking to people, but I didn't post about alcohol, not because I thought I shouldn't have the conversation. I just had so many other things to talk about. Yeah. Right. And I talk about it with patients, right. It's always been a conversation with patients, but like on the social media level, it's not something I've ever like broached and brought out. But like when I did, I was amazed and I, I don't know why I was amazed. Cause actually if I thought, gave it much thought, it's actually pretty unsurprising, Yeah. but it's like, it, right. It's the last bastion of this wellness conversation or the next one, I should say the next mm-hmm. bastion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is, Something that I've seen so much over the years with patients is that you have this larger 
spectrum as so much of what I talk about is it's a spectrum, this continuum of people's relationship with alcohol. And I don't think that there's a whole sea of people that would be by an alcohol expert, alcoholic experts opinion, not be considered an alcoholic, but they are, and nor would they even be considered necessarily a functional alcoholic, even though some of them would be, but I'm not even talking about those people. I'm talking about the people that just, it's a major coping mechanism for their life. Like the mommy wino culture, like that, this is just my way to unwind in the day. And like, no, very, you're going to not find very many professionals that would say they are functional alcoholic or, a, yeah. or an alcoholic, but they, it's like an, a, a, this visceral reaction the, even the idea of taking a break from it. Yeah. So that's sort of what I'm posing is that, okay, what's our mental, emotional, spiritual relationship with alcohol? And then number two, let's, I want to not normalize it so much within the wellness context. Like it's been so much conflated with like resveratrol and polyphenols specifically with wine, but, um, and I just, the data really doesn't hold water. I mean, it's, this alcohol is a neurotoxin and having it on a regular basis, there's a lot of studies. And I post about this on Instagram, a lot of studies that show that it really does harm for our brain health. It does harm for, to our bodies. And it's not something that should be, I think, to be part of like this normalized wellness thing. And that's why I think I had uh, Todd White on the podcast of Dry Farm Wines, and he says the same thing. It is a neurotoxin. There's no way around it. And But if you're going to drink, and he drinks, he calls himself like a, a hedonist, he's going to pick the lowest alcohol wine. And that's why he provides it, because the, it's the least amount of damage. Yeah. Uh, and on top of that, organic, biodynamic, regenerative, all that other stuff, low mold, tested for mold. Um, so these are all things that I'm considering when I'm talking to patients, but you're absolutely right. I think that uh, it's, it's, it's to me, when I, when I get, see some of the comments, it's there, is it them talking or their emotional attachment to the alcohol that's talking when they get defensive about even cutting out, it out for a time. It's funny, the like circles, we can walk around a subject when we want to convince ourselves of something like that, that idea of like wine has health benefits because of the resveratrol. It's like saying like, you should eat like lucky charms because they're fortified with B vitamins or something. It's like, <laughs> come on guys. Like there are so many other ways you can get these yeah. antioxidants that don't have yeah. the, like the scale is still tipped in the, in the mm -hmm. negative way when we're talking about booze. Um, but that can be a really tough one because for some people, like I've always kind of been a big fan, of course, of intuitive eating and, and moderation and balance. However, knowing that we live in a world that is set up to be hedonistic and that is set up for us to overconsume and consume things we don't actually need and consume things that are bad for us. I do sort of play with these elements of like removing entire things that don't serve me that I also don't love or need. So like just a very like simple example would be like, I have a sweet tooth. I'm never not going to eat chocolate and like cookies and stuff like that. But I don't care about pizza and chips and stuff like that. So I'm not, I'm going to make it sort of like a, a part of my lifestyle to completely avoid these things that I would a hundred percent eat if they're in front of me, but I don't need them. They don't, I don't love them. They don't fill my cup. Right. And so, but it's hard to do that with booze when it is such a universally um, accepted and enjoyed form of, again, socialization, de-stressing, things like that. And for a lot of these women, it, I say women, cause it's just, it's who I work with. And again, that like sort of mom wine culture is 
massive and I'm like deep in that demographic, mm-hmm. um, you know, drinking much less could very much serve their health um, and would absolutely go a long way towards solving some of the problems that are stressing them out to the point that they want to drink. Mm -hmm. However, they may not ever want to get rid of it entirely because it is still a a point in their life that is pleasurable, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we get to a place of balance and moderation with something like that, that is so pervasive, it's so accessible, it's so easy. And even the culture is telling you like, hey, you're a mom, you gotta do like, just, you gotta have the glass of wine or two every night. You gotta do it, that's what we do. How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot of the, what I talk about and it's sort of a mantra in our clinic is just because something's common doesn't necessarily mean it's normal. And our culture, again, it's backwards in so many ways that I really would, I, I think a lot of people need to have a reckoning with the things in their life that they're holding on to, and they think it's not that much, but really I can tell you so many stories of patients that just take out alcohol or cut it back significantly. And the power that it wields over improving their health is immense in many cases. So I would just say like, if you have a goal and if you're not at your goal health wise or whatever aspect within your health, whether it's the weight loss resistance or the digestive problems or the brain fog or the fatigue or whatever, the anxiety, I would look at these things that you're holding on to and you think it's not that big of a deal. Well, maybe it's, not the only component to why you feel the way that you do, but maybe it's a linchpin that's keeping you back from moving past that plateau. Yeah. And I find that many people that, that make, they don't want to go there because they, they really like it. When what I have found is that almost always people love feeling great more than they thought they missed would miss something. Mm-hmm. And it's like a bad trade-off because then you're on the other side of you, like, dang, man, I don't ever want to feel like that again. I feel so much better. Why would I want something to dim my light? And I think that that's the, where you have to go. You have to be brave enough to go there yeah. and see what your body's capable of. And, and then you come to a reckoning of like, did, does this serve me or sabotage me? Does that mean everybody's going to come and not drink alcohol ever again? No, but I think they're going to have a, a greater awareness on what their body loves and what their body hates. And they'll know I can do like this much. I'm all right with it. I enjoy it. It works with me. And it's a piece of my puzzle. That's not going to be a bad trade-off. That's not going to make me feel bad the next day. Um, so that's kind of, that's different. That's bio-individuality. That's going to look different for different people. But I would just say, you need to be brave enough to take the first step to say, like, maybe go off of it for 60 days, 90 days, Mm -hmm. something like that to like, let things clear out and calm down and you to kind of recalibrate your new normal. Mm -hmm. And then from then start low and slow. I actually talk about this in the inflammation spectrum in my second book of how to bring it back alcohol. So you can kind of see, well, like maybe like this type of alcohol isn't working for you, but this one is and in small amounts. And look, there's some research to show like the hormetic effect of low amounts of alcohol. Maybe there is some health benefits to that. Not that it should be a reason to be consistently drinking, but the body just the body can handle some levels of stress and there can be some benefits of, of these things here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, what you're saying too, like sort of just the bravery of taking the step to try something different, you know, so often people would rather stay in a discomfort that is familiar than the discomfort of trying something new. And I know when I would coach people, it was more on the nutrition side and, you know, they just were like, I have never, I can't imagine not eating the way I'm eating and the way you're maybe suggesting sounds crazy. It's like, you came to me not to tell you 
to keep mm-hmm. doing what you're doing. We, you know, you yeah. came to me to tell you to try something different and just, just try it. And like you said, when you feel something so different and feel mm-hmm. so much better and know what your body can feel like, um, it can be a pretty life-changing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. I, I can't tell you how many people that I could think of. It was such a part of their life. Alcohol was such a part of their life that they wouldn't trade it for anything. And that, and most of them actually don't drink that like random special occasions, like weddings, things yeah. like this, they'll have it, but it's not a part of their life. And it's not punitive. It's not restrictive. It's not like teetotaling. It's like, no, mm-hmm. I love feeling great more than I ever want to feel like that again. Yes. Okay. I feel like that is a fantastic place to end because I don't want to take all of your time, but I feel like I got like a session today with Dr. Cole. So I appreciate it very much. Um, are folks still, are, are you taking new like clients or you've oh, got yeah. space? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, we, we keep a great bandwidth for people. Um, consultations with me, consultations with a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. We have the group class model. So there's many ways for us to, to be there for people. Okay. And we'll put, uh, your website, your Instagram, anywhere, anything else that, you know, you want to direct yeah. people to just drwillcole.com, uh, drwillcole.com on Instagram too, if they want to check that out. But yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is, I love yeah. talking with you. Every time. Yeah. It was great catching up and I'm going to go see my baby. Who's probably hungry, make some mundane moments, magical Baby's right now. So cute, by the way, he's pretty cute. I mean, he's pretty cute. So cute. Uh, I appreciate that, but thank you again so much for your time. Let's do it again soon. Maybe we'll be able to see each other in person before too yes. long and, yeah. uh, yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. All right. Take care. All right, that's it for today. Thank you to Dr. Will Cole for taking the time. Thank you to you guys for listening and to hopefully giving back and doing your part by sharing this podcast if you think it's worth it, leaving a rating and review if you think it's good and you want me to keep doing this work. Thank you to my show sponsor, Paleo Valley. They make a ton of great products, but my favorites are their healthy snacks. They have grass-fed and fermented beef sticks. They have superfood bars that are really, really delicious, um, really, really high-quality products. They don't cut corners, and they put plant superfoods and animal superfoods together for all of us. So, you know, plant-focused Dr. Will Cole, animal-focused Dr. Ashley Van Houten, not a doctor, um, we can enjoy the same treats and they have lots to, uh, to offer for our health and they taste good. So go to paleovalley.com, use the code MMR and you'll save 15% on anything you buy. I'll just leave you with this because I love when he said it, let's figure out how to make the mundane moments magical. I think that's so cool and so important because I mean, that's what most of our, our moments are, right? So let's make them beautiful and magical and enjoy them. So I hope you go out and do that today and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.